Welcome to Athletes to Entrepreneurs, the Alumni Journey. I'm Rob Finkelstein, founder and CEO of Alumni Direct. We've created a platform to help athletes and other alumni network and connect within their affinity groups. And this show has been developed specifically to help address the issue of athletes transitioning out of sports. It's a major issue today between mental health and financial literacy and other areas. So we interview former collegiate professional athletes and talk about their journey and the ideas to ultimately teach and inspire athletes that there is life after sports. Today, we're really excited to have Brendan Sean. How you doing, Brendan? Very good. How are you, Rob? I'm doing great, thanks. And so Brendan uh, was a college hockey player. He played at UMass. Uh, he's uh, actually, I think you're the second or third hockey player I've had on now. <laughs> and uh, so he, um, then he, once he got out of that, he got into sports uh, facility development. Uh, ultimately, he started an investment firm. And today, he's one of the partners in uh, Rivals Media, as well as continuing to work with his investment firm. So uh, Brendan, I always talk about, Tell me about playing sports growing up and how it shaped you, I guess, leading up to high school and college. Well, I think sports was a huge part of my upbringing, my background. I had three brothers that also played sports, but my parents, you know, they came from a generation where there wasn't a lot of organized sports and they were super supportive and all in on us, myself and my brothers, getting involved in sports. It, it, it taught so many lessons and as I tell people today, hockey still continues to give back to me. So I always try to give back to him. No, that, that's great. I mean, it's, and, and you hit on one of the things too, like the skill set. And we'll talk about that throughout the podcast, but there's such a, uh, a special skill set that athletes have that they can um, utilize once they're beyond, you know, playing their sport. Um, when you were growing up, did you want to be a professional athlete? And if so, what sport? Well, I did. I was I was ice hockey. I, I started a little bit before the miracle on ice, and it it kind of pushed me all the way through to you know want to be in the Olympics and want to play in college and want to play in the NHL, which didn't happen, which is fine. But you know, it was one of those things. It always motivated me and it pushed me to want to be better. And it gave me a lot of skills that I still use today. Yeah, and I, it's it's funny. I always joke around with this question because I say on my end, want to be a major league baseball player. Unfortunately, the talent wasn't there, so I'm doing what I'm doing today. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so let, let's talk about, um, you know, one of the key areas, I think, um, is education. And so when you were at UMass, um, and maybe we'll kind of take it when you were there, and you know, obviously both of us went to school a while back, but, you know, things changed too. But was there education to for the various athletes in looking at life after sports and transitioning out of sports there was. I mean, I was very fortunate at UMass. We had a very high level sports management program that was highly regarded nationally. It was an interesting program that I'd never even heard of until I got there because it was more of a business focused, but sports specific. So everything you talked about, whether it was sports law, sports marketing, sports, 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 but everything, if you really peeled back the sports, it was business and did they, you know, I, I guess one of the things that we see that um, I, I had one one uh, guy on our, our podcast, he, a former football player. And what he said is that, you know, when he was playing, it, it would have been great to have like, say, maybe a four week workshop or maybe even like a, a class like, a you know, that the athletes had to take almost forced to take because a lot of athletes are kind of zoned in, obviously, on their sport. Um, was there anything like that at UMass or, or is there anything that, uh, not as much because we were more of an expansion program. That program really started in 1994. Okay. Stadium hockey, uh, division one hockey was brand new. So we kind of blazed the trail. 
And it's interesting to go back because at UMass, we actually have started the athlete, alumni, mentor, mentee, where I actually have a student athlete that I work with, and this is now my third, where we work together and talk about the future outside of the game, but also for somebody like me who lives in Arizona, 2,600 miles away, it keeps me more connected to the program, more likely to donate, to be a part of it, and be more engaged. So it's been really fun because I can talk to athletes that I know want to get to the NHL, but I can also tell them, even if they do, there's going to be a time where it ends. And what do you do now to prepare for the future? So that's been a really cool program. But when I was there, it was new. We were starting fresh, and we programs come a long way. We won a national championship a couple of years ago. But at the same time, it wasn't fully there, and it wasn't fully there with the options. Is that is that something that's run from an athletic department perspective, or is that something that's run on the more on the alumni relations side? It's alumni relations with within the coaching staff. So we do some fun things, and we talk about you know like who's the new recruiting class. Or, so you get some very cool insight, but you stay way more connected. And you know, with everybody being so far away, the ability to do zooms and teams meetings, etc. It really makes you a part and feel a part because over time, you know, I'm out of college now, almost 25 years, coaches change, yeah. you know, administration change. It's hard to stay connected if every five to 10 years there's a new coach. So normally that's two to three coaches by now, and that's a whole different administration. Yeah. It, it, and that, I think that's probably a lot of the problems I've heard, you know, stories where athletes kind of want to come back and they want to mentor and do other things with, with the teams. And not that they're shunned, but it's just that with that change in culture and coaching, I think it kind of they're almost looking out for their their guys or their their women that they coached, and not necessarily the the you know the previous athletes uh, under other administrations, so to speak. It's been a super cool program. We've done it now for four years, and again, I have a student athlete every year. We talk about different things. We stay engaged, and so I really liked it. And every other college coach I talk to of my friends, I'm like, "Here's what we're doing." something you might want to try and people are like, Oh, tell me more about it. So it's, it's a visionary program that I truly enjoy. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. I mean, I think all that's, you know, UMass is a, should definitely be a, um, you know, something that other schools look to emulate when, with that, is that, so like, do you just, um, are you just mentoring hockey players or just all across all sports? No, it's within our, our, our hockey program. I'm sure, I'm sure they're doing stuff elsewhere, but for me, it's our team. It's our program. There's 25 student athletes and there's 25 alumni that want to be involved. I've enjoyed it because, like I said, I don't get to see the games in season because I'm so far away. Plus, I coach youth hockey. I really hardly ever get to see a game in season. I get there in the summer, but it, it keeps me much closer to the action. Right, right. Yeah, that that's really interesting. I mean, like – um. Yeah, you know, alumni direct. We're we're all about that alumni engagement and, and trying to get um, you know people involved and in, you know working in the sports space um, and, and trying to I think with colleges to promote more of like what UMass is doing uh, throughout the athletic department too is just having alumni come back and work with athletes you know maybe regardless of the sport I, I mean anything is is great because it's great that you know the hockey players are getting that hopefully some of the other athletes and other schools are doing the same thing so I guess to kind of piggyback off that then. Um, was aside from this program, like, like was alumni engagement encouraged, you know, through the athletic department? Um, it just as far as it was, the only issue was the program went shut down in 77 
as it was a club program and then started back up in 1994. So there was a gap as they restarted the program that there was, you know, we had great alumni, which didn't have a lot of them. And even to this day at 25 years, you're less than 200 alumni. Right. Yeah. And then that makes it a challenge. How about it? Is there, is there other, um, I want you to talk, talk a little bit about just in general alumni engagement and, you know, kind of the importance of um, tapping into your alumni, whether it's, you know, within your sport or just alumni from your school in general. Well, I think it's huge, you know, and I, again, I've coached since I stopped playing in 1998 where I coach and mentor teenagers, 20 somethings as they come along. And I always tell them, you know, I was the last generation that graduated without social media. So the ability to never lose connection with people anymore is so vital because that network is so important. If you understand how to use it and how to grow it over time by doing the right thing, and you know, your brand is your most valuable asset many times. Yeah. And I, and I think what, um, what's key too is to, kind of utilize that opportunity when you have it in front of you. Cause I, I know one thing I've talked to a couple agents and they say the biggest failures they've seen with their players is that they don't network and connect while they're still playing. So all of a sudden they're done and they're like expecting, okay, I've got everything coming to me. And like, no, you don't, unfortunately. And so, it, you know, talk a little bit about that is just encouraging, you know, athletes to, to do that while they're still playing. Well, it's, it's a very common theme because that, as soon as you become an ex-pro, that's what you are. It's an ex-pro or an ex-college athlete. And everybody thinks, oh, when I'm done, I'm going to do this. But you don't have that same juice to other people. While you're still playing, you have an opportunity to meet, you know, alumni and owners and league executives to figure out what the next step is. You know, having managed professional athletes before, I remember like during the NHL lockout was – League's not going. Now's the time to figure out what you want to do because you're going to come back, but it's a quiet period that you may not be able to have. How do you meet the centers of influence in your life, around your team, around your league, et cetera, figure out what's next? Because in the end, even the best ones retire around 40, unless you're Tom Brady. Yeah, no, for, for sure. So uh, next, uh, I always like to talk about a little bit of a, could be a controversial topic, but let's talk a little bit about NAL name image likeness. And, you know, when you were playing and when I was in school, it wasn't a, you know, it was, you know, I guess there was, there were some versions of it, maybe like boosters and things like that, but putting that aside, uh, give me your thoughts, both uh, positive and negative. I think it's fantastic. I actually just met with a major NIL lawyer this morning because I'm, still learning how it works. Each state is different. NIL is possible for high school. It's possible for college. It's legislated by the state, but it's inconsistent as we still learn what it is, how it works, how it can benefit. But at the same time, it is a good thing. I remember when I was a student athlete, it's if you got this, you couldn't get that. And if you had a scholarship, you couldn't make money. And it was... It was a push and pull constantly of trying to understand the rules, what you could do, what you couldn't do. Even meeting with our alumni association, we go through compliance every year on what is approved and what's not approved and where you can take a, a student athlete if you want to go grab dinner or what you can't do. It's still very, very confusing, even to people that know a lot about it. But NIL, I think, is a great thing. It is uh, work in progress because I think there have been some goods and some bads to NIL. 
now, but I think uh, as things shape up, I think mean, it'll improve. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, work in progress is a, is a good uh, way to put it. I mean, I think um, the biggest thing that I've heard and, you know, has, has been from a downside perspective is, is kind of the education, like you alluded to, it's just it's, it's inconsistent. And the problem is, um, you know, like we'll talk about financial literacy, for example. I mean, it's, a lot of these athletes, just like young people in general, they don't necessarily understand that, hey, you know, you have to pay taxes and you have to, you know, there's things you need to do. And then, you know, the, some of the worst case scenarios, I talk about this a lot on the podcast is that, um, you know, there's one situation I heard where this athlete, let's say, I don't know, was, they got a 30 or 40,000 on an NIL deal and, you know, went ahead, they spent all the money with their friends. But what happened is that because of that um, amount, it, it brought the family over the financial threshold where the, the athlete lost the scholarship. And it's just, it's sad that something like that happened and just, it, you know, it, it, so it'd be great to see more and more like kind of that education put behind it. Well, the interesting thing I found as well, like hockey's got a lot of non-Americans and if you're not an American, you can't get an IL because it violates your student visa. If you have uh, a scholarship, which that was a, it was a, wow, okay, I didn't even realize that, which is, has nothing to do with athletics. It has nothing to do, this is, you know, international relations with student visas, et cetera. So if that's the case and you're not an American citizen, you actually can't get an account. That That's very interesting. I, you know, I, that's the first time I've heard that. So I just wonder how much people are paying attention. And I would imagine, like, hockey is a big influence on, you know, uh, folks from other countries. I imagine soccer might be as well. So I guess sure. these opportunities that might come up. Uh, yeah, so it, was, it was brand new. I talked to the compliance officer and he said, well, if they're Canadian, they can't get anything. Wow. Yeah. That, that, or that, give up their scholarship. Yeah. I'm sure they don't want to do that unless, <laughs> unless the opportunities, you know, outweighs that. But uh, right. so uh, let's talk about, uh, you know, transition out of sports. So th this is a difficult thing. And a lot of times you hear these athletes kind of identify themselves as their sport. So talk a little bit about your transition out of sport and then advice that you give to other athletes, um, whether it's leaving the collegiate level or the professional level. Sure. Well, when I was wrapping up my career, I kind of realized I wasn't going to play at the highest level. And I also realized my revenue opportunities were not as high as I would like to. And I was actually offered a job before I graduated that paid me more than I would if I would have played pro. It was, it was a fairly easy decision, but a difficult decision because for the next three to four years, I would sit back and say, oh, I can still play or I can still do this or... I can, you know, it's one of those things that it took a while to set in until those three or four years over. And then my friends who actually did play in the minors started coming to me saying, hey, can you help me get a job? Then it clicked and said, thank God I did what I did when I did it because it gave me an advantage over others that played uh, minor level professional sports that in theory you could play for a long, long time, whether it's in the U.S. or all around the world, and get paid something, but not really get paid enough to really get hit. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's almost like you hear, too, like when the, you know, the student athletes are playing their sports in college, you got all these other students, the non-athletes, that get the opportunities for the internships and things like that. So they're maybe, in a sense, better prepared for it than the athlete who just, you know, for whatever reason, they just don't have the time or they, they just can't do it. Sure. I totally agree. So um, what kinds of uh, advice would you give to athletes and kind of based on, um, you know, your journey? Well, I think you got to be aware that 
it, your time is going to end? And how do you continue to want to develop your skills to prepare, increase and improve your network, and at the same time, prepare yourself for when it's done so when you are done, you hit the ground running. Most people stop and then they wait and they think they waste time. Or if you're ahead, and, and, and my good fortune, I always tell people, I did not make the most out of my athletic career. I'm the first one to say it, which is why I'm involved in coaching. It's helped me to kind of say, oh, I wish I would have done this. Or I remember when I was a player, now that I'm a coach, I look back and say, yeah, that was kind of me. So it's helped me, but at the same time, I use that motivation for feeling like I didn't get the most I possibly could out of it as a business person, as an executive, as a leader of young people to say, I know what needs to get done because I made the mistakes. Yeah, I, I mean, great, great nuggets there for sure. And I think um, and I think the other thing, too, is just uh, athletes. And we talked about this a little bit in the beginning, but they, they need to understand that their skills are transferable into into other other aspects of, you know, whether it be entrepreneurship or business leadership or anything for that matter. And there's a lot of companies that look for that to hire that. So we kind of implore athletes to just, you know, don't think of yourself, okay, I'm done. I was the hockey player, Brendan the hockey player, Rob the runner, Bill the baseball player, Susie the swimmer. But just mm -hmm. think about that skill set that you have that you can, you know, move out into other aspects of life. Yeah, you can draw upon, you know, how hard you worked and how committed, how focused, how detailed. I just wrote a recommendation for one of my uh, athletes who wants to go to the Naval Academy. It's like, here's what this person did to get to this point. I think they're going to be a great fit for you because they have X, Y, and Z. And it's transferable skills that you use at the next level and think to your head, I've been here. I've done this. I've managed my time. I've worked hard, et cetera, et cetera. That's those are the things that I look back and say, here's what you can really use. But if you see yourself in a different light, you're not, I'm on, you can be whatever you want to be. Yeah, ab yeah. absolutely. No, that, that, that's great. So talk about now, like, I guess once you, so you were done and you, then you got into, um, you know, the, the facilities uh, and then ultimately to investing what you're doing today, talk a little about that journey and uh, ultimately uh, you know, what you're doing today, how people can find you. I learned along the way, like I started in sports facility development because I thought I wanted to be in sports. You know, I kind of looked at certain, certain things. I liked what I liked. It was, you know, post 9-11 economy happened. The market kind of froze up. I started an investment firm. I went through a divorce. I kind of stepped away from that, got into more private equity. And I've been partners in a company that I was actually raising money for back in 2017-18 called Rivals Media. Okay. And then, and then I always joke around, I was like, you know, give us, give us a, here, here's a little commercial. Let's talk about sure. Rivals Media and some of the great things that you're doing. Sure. Well, Rivals Media is a cause-based gamification platform that raises money. So what we do is we bring brands, athletes, creators, and causes together by gamifying events. So we're a hybrid between gambling and the 50-50 round. You have a vested interest to play, Earn points, and we've partnered with professional teams, professional athletes, leagues. We're working on some charity events now with some movie stars. So we help people amplify their network from inside the brick and mortar to outside into the the world of the internet by saying we're doing a fundraiser rather than just pull a 50-50 raffle ticket at a basketball game. You can play a game 
three, five, ten thousand miles away. If you like the prize, if you like the cause, if you like the celebrity that's aligning, it would teach people how to monetize their network through social media and their brand to do good. And that's really it is. It's, you know, as we call it in a base level, it's gambling for good. How do we help people raise money for causes, et cetera? That's great. And how do like what 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 types of um you know, like organizations you're working with. I know you mentioned athletes and all that. I mean, like, who do you kind of reach out to? We reach out all over the place. So we've done UFC events with John Anik, and we raised money for Juju Schuster. We worked with the Bruce Arians Foundation to raise money for his charity, gamifying all of the Buccaneers games during their Super Bowl run. We've worked with the V Foundation to raise money during the 2022 Final Four. So there's a lot of things that we've done, and we have a lot of different iterations. We've worked on events during the uh, World Cup, and we're working on some different things now for you know golf tournaments, etc. The small fundraising events with a lot of high net worth people to really raise that benefit outside of just inside the ropes. Uh, that's great. And so, and, and how do people find you? Uh, you can find me on Instagram. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. Rivalsmedia.com is our website. So there's a lot of different ways to do it. And we're kind of out there in the marketplace. And it's fun because it really focused on trying to use my network for philanthropy as well. So as I do that and I move forward, I've found there's a way to take what I've done and, and really give back. Yeah, that that's great. I mean, I, I think I, I guess as as we go through our journey in life and business and everything else, we you know it becomes an important factor for us too to kind of give back and and help. So I, I definitely encourage people uh, to go out to rivalsmedia.com. We'll put all this in the show notes. Uh, you can find alumni direct at alumnidirect.com. Uh, you can also follow this show on uh, our alumni direct YouTube channel as well as across all the podcast network and uh, find us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and all that. But we we really encourage people to listen and watch just um, a lot of great guests that we've had. And we just really want to make an impact and help out as many athletes as we can. So uh, Brandon, thank you so much. We really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Uh, you're welcome.